Support for the Claim of Stories podcast and the following message comes from 99designs by Vistaprint. With a worldwide community of more than 150,000 talented freelance designers, 99designs by Vistaprint is the global creative platform that makes it easy for small businesses to work with creative experts and build their brand through custom, memorable design. Learn more at vistaprint.com. Find something to sell. Hmm. Here comes jeans. Mm. Right? Like me, I'm sitting there like... I can't take this loss. Nah. Like, it's... it's, it's as I remember saying to her one day, like, I think... I was sitting there, I was stressed. Right? Where you starting to have that moment. And I'm like... I... I said, like, yo, I think I'm gonna get a nice job overnight at Home Depot. She looked at me and was like, what you talking about? Nah. Hmm. You're not figuring it out right now, so you stressed out. I got it. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. 30 days later, I'm on a plane to China. This is Claim of Stories, a show about leading and emerging BIPOC creatives and how they were able to claim their dream careers. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, get you on your feet. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, yeah. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, get you on your feet. Tell me where you want to go, where you want to be. I can help you claim a seat, yeah. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we talk to James Whitner, streetwear entrepreneur and owner of the Whitaker Group, whose inspiring story is rooted in hard work and the hustler's mentality. Born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, James grew up in the projects during the crack epidemic, where he saw drugs tear families and communities apart, including his own. A victim of homelessness while taking care of his younger brother, James found himself in constant survival mode. Standing six foot four at 13 years old, he found basketball, which would be his focus and sanctuary, until a career injury deflated his hoop dreams. James then went to the streets and started hustling until his mid-twenties. Deciding to move to North Carolina for an opportunity and put in the street life behind him, James then went to college where he applied his street knowledge to get a degree in business administration. Not weighed down by the streets and struggle of his life in Pittsburgh, James was allowed to just be. He opened his first store, and it was a diamond in the rough, so to speak. But as a black man who understood business, street culture, and how to grind, James had no choice but to make it work. With mentorship, he learned how to apply a point of view into his first location. The streetwear scene was starting to grow, and James wanted to be a part of it. But he was on probation and had to call his probation officer just to even attend trade shows like Magic in Vegas. Not even a week after he got off probation, James went straight to Japan. In our conversation ahead, James shares a story about growing up in Mountain View Heights. From Mountain Heights, what are the project? Uh, yeah, it's crazy because the, the, the gray hair reminds me of the decades. Other than that, if I didn't have grays on my chin, I think I, I might still think I was 21. But uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm, I'm from I'm from Mountain Heights, man. I'm, I'm at its at its root. I'm a I'm a project kid. I think hmm. uh, a therapist once said that we're we're all we all grow up to be who we were as children, right? Hmm. So as as a as a child. I'm a, I'm a poor kid from the projects trying to make it out. I think as an adult, I'm a poor kid from the projects trying to make it out. Hmm. Hmm. 
That's incredible. Tell me, tell me about what it was like growing up in the projects, though, right? Because you know we have these different ideas and narratives about what it is like growing up. Um, and I think it was Pittsburgh, right? The projects in yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Yeah. What you know? What was that like for you? I mean, it's crazy because you 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 think about you know you often you talk about the deaths and the gun violence and mm. you know drugs and you know despair, but recently I've I've started to focus on like all the learnings that came out of all those things mm. because you know like iron kind of kind of sharpens iron and there's this whole narrative like absolutely it's summertime right and even when you even when you piss poor. In the summertime, you still you don't gotta have nothing, but you still have optimism, and you live in fun, and there's the basketball court, and chasing chasing girls, and all those things still very much exist. And I guess because you have nothing, um, all you have is each other and the people around you. I think a lot of times uh, in, in, in black neighborhoods, people talk about gangs. Well, you know, you know, those black kids and their gangs. It's not that it, it's, it's, it's never it was never about being gangs. It was just always about us having each other's back and us being there for each other. And when you start to think about the dynamic of the drug dealer and the poor kid, it's like, well, these drug dealers recruit kids. They don't recruit kids. Um, I think if anything, they push kids to be better. And the system reminds the kids that there is no better. Mm. And it makes the kid end, back, end, end up back to the only thing they've ever seen, which was the drug dealers in the neighborhood that try to take care of them, right? And then right. there there goes that vicious cycle. So for me, it's been about saying like, oh shit, I made it out, right? So right. I need to insert myself back into this story. So now there's someone else that's from where we from that breaks that vicious cycle. So when when, when I think about my, my life's experiences and being a youngin, the insertion of myself and, and not just our projects and not it's not just about me, right? We just talked right. a lot about hope. We, we talked a lot about hope, right? Right, right. You look at somebody who's so visual, who's telling these stories of of in journeys of our lives, at least for our generation. And if you look right. at somebody like who else, like this younger little baby, when you listen to when you listen mm-hmm. to little baby and the stories mm-hmm. he's telling about right. where he's at and where he's going and why and how he's bringing his homies along. But there's still this part of him that's so raw and so rough because he is who he is, but he understand he understands who he needs to be. And it's this relationship that he's probably looking at a dude like Hove and saying, okay, this is the guy, right? So right. just like yourself, you're the guy from Louisiana. You're you're that guy that you have to insert yourself where you're from so they right. see the other way out. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Absolutely. Tell me about like what was the family dynamic, right? Like what did your what did your parents do when you know growing up? In, in um, it's, my dad, my dad was a uh, my dad was a drug dealer. Um, mm. He came he came uh, he was a drug dealer until he became a user. Um, mm. My dad my dad grew up. My dad was on a 1978 state championship team, Avenue team. So my dad, you know, he tells stories of him and, and his teammates, and I don't know so why some of the names are slipping me right now. That's <laughs> just that's just my age showing, but but ball was a thing, and he, yeah. you know, he talked about drinking black velvet and, and, and going out and beating that, beating it, beating the hell out of people, and then I think in his mind that was his life, and he just never grew up, right? He never went to college, left out dropped it. out, yeah. dropped out, came home, streets got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was God rest. He, he passed away last last year. And mm-hmm. for me, his legacy was 
his, I love him, but his legacy was everything was the plight of the 80s or the crack era, right? He got, mm. he got caught into not really having, he had a mother who loved him. Uh, it was a difficult situation around a father and he done the best that he could, but he, he, was, a, he was a victim to the era. My mom, my mom was the same. Uh, my mom, my mom uh, done her best to take take care of us. She uh, retired from a career in mental health and um, worked at a hospital uh, around uh, in, a, in another neighboring uh, community. But same struggles. Uh, for years, she struggled with uh, drug addiction, um, victim of the crack air. Like literally, all, all of my aunts and uncles. They struggled through. They struggled with through was the reality, just not for them. It was the reality for Black America during that black time. Black America in general. And and yeah. once again, I, that's why I say I'm a product of I'm a product of the of the crack era. Wow. What was? How old were you when you like start have a consciousness around like what was happening with your parents and what was happening with just Black people in general with with crack? I remember vividly a couple things like in the '80s um, when it hit. I mean, sort of some of the stories we tell now, like with the Jordan three, I vividly remember that. I vividly remember like, cause if you go back to 87, 88, 89, um, crack is hitting the scene. I remember because there was a raid in a crack house. We lived in buildings, it was vertical buildings, mm -hmm. um, like three story, three story vertical buildings. And we lived yep. on the end in the middle building, bottom left was the crack house. And you know, it started off as, you know, weed or whatever. But you could tell when crack hit, I knew it was an issue because I remember when uh, the door, they raided the crack house and mm. certain members of my family was included in that raid. And that's when it hit me like, this is real. Like this is, yeah. a, this is a different thing. And then the other was like, you know, I've been homeless. I've been, I've been large, large points in my family. It was large points of my life. It was just me and my brother when, when, when crack addiction shows up, it, it shows up. Right. So yeah. people don't talk about some of that. Like, so I realized it hit because for a long portion of my, for a, a portion of a eight year old, nine year old's life, when you spend six, seven months by yourself with you and a, a sibling is three years younger than you. And for the wow. most part, you're trying to like scramble to figure it out. And you, you know, you go from that to homeless shelters to just figuring out, trying to make it. Mm -hmm. Man, like there's parts of this story that like never actually really get told. Like you hear crack right? and you, yeah. people see like the makeup and why I don't smile much or when it's, mm -hmm. when I, I joke, but it's tough to really like wow. just walk up with a smile every day. Like, mm -hmm. yo, like I've you know, seen I, a lot I, of things. I, I done lived and <laughs> lived. seen a lot. Yeah. Right. I've lived yeah. a lot of life. I can't imagine what that's like for an eight-year-old and a, and a five-year-old, essentially. It's just like the, the outlook is bleak, right? Like when you think about something like that. So how did you, right, at, at different points and moving from different shelters and things like that, as you got into maybe your teenage, teenage years, what were you into? Like how did that, you know, what, what started to become your life? I don't, I don't think you understand the outlook is bleak because you're just fighting. Hmm. Right. So I think what I learned at eight, because when you go from housing projects to housing projects, especially in the 80s, what you quickly realize is you got to show up. Everybody in that project is going to try you. So hmm. it makes you tough. Right. Because you got to yeah. come out and you may as well swing the first punch because you already know somebody's waiting to try you waiting. on day one. So it makes it makes you as as so as a young and I was very aggressive because I was hmm. so used to moving and getting tried that. 
At this point, I'm sizing everybody up on the first day. And instead yeah. of me, instead of me waiting for somebody to come at me, you take the initiative. I'm at them. Like I already know mm -hmm. what this is gonna be. I'ma size it up so I don't get the wrong person. I'ma figure out who's gonna be the aggressor and I'ma take the first shot because if I'm fighting five, I'd rather be strategic and, and had a first shot. So how that how that showed itself in my teenage years was the same. I was hyper aggressive because I was used to like needing to take care of my brothers, right? And right. my mom was still going through her addiction. My dad was mm -hmm. kind of in the wind. So mm -hmm. it was about it was about that. And then the thing that probably saved me most is I played a lot of basketball. So that mm. energy, that energy, when we landed up in, we landed, we went, we went, we went through a, uh, to a, to a women's shelter, McKeesport, okay. and end up from a women's shelter. That's how we got in. That's how we got the place in Monview Heights. So we went mm -hmm. to that shelter so we can get a place. And then we ended up getting a place in Monview Heights. And when we got there, that, that community was really, really, really about sports. And mm. it was, it was, it was one where you had to know how to play. Like you couldn't be from Whitaker at that time just, if you if you couldn't play if you couldn't then, ball if you couldn't ball then you was gonna get like you was gonna get kicked so many times in loose booty that it was like you know and then here I am like six foot four and like thirteen years old and I'm like you were six I'm, four at thirteen James six four at thirteen full beard <laughs> oh full, my God. like full beard looking like a grown man little skinny stick full beard braids and yeah and i'm like man i better figure out how to play this and so <laughs> I, I, I focused a, i focused a lot on i focused a lot on basketball I put the mm. i put the energy into ball and then just you know kind of yeah what yeah, was the you know what was the thought behind ball was that like you were like this is going to get me out this is going to get me to a better life or it was just like this is like i i need to do this to not be thinking about all the other stuff that's happening I think I, I don't I don't know you don't ever think your luck is that good, right? Because hmm. to, to make it out, I knew I could play, right? Because there was pride in being able to play because I was always much younger than I was always much younger than everybody around me. Um, so I was the youngest of the crew of people that I was playing with, and I I got to a point where I could I could play, but it was just an outlet for for me. Yeah. It was just like okay, it it, it was my reason for not needing to actually commit to the streets because at, at then it was three options right you mm. went to school because remember you got to choose a you got to choose a lane right yes you, you you either the school dude you play ball play ball or you in the streets yeah you hustle and there ain't no in-betweens right so for me i played ball and that ball kept me in school right mm -hmm. and that was that that that, that was kind of it, right? And hmm. the the hyper aggression was always a part of who I was, and because of just my size and stature, and and if you said something wrong to me, I was gonna probably punch you in the mouth. That was <laughs> that was kind of that was my teenage that makeup. Was, it was it was just yeah. make it like whatever yeah. you need to do, make it make it. Did you? How long did you stick with with basketball? Like, was that something that stuck around for a long time for you, or did you get caught up in you know kind of you know the hustle? No, it's so basketball. It's funny because my, my life my, my life literally pivoted from one thing to another. It was a uh, so in the summer times, you know, you piss poor, right? We lived on the mm -hmm. corner, like so. Mm -hmm. My house, my house was the end 
the way the way Whitaker set up is it's row houses, so it's like real long townhouses, but they step down. So it's two okay. steps and then you go down, two steps and then they go down. So my right. house is at the end, and everybody hustled on the side of my house. So all the dudes, all the old heads, all everybody's on the side of my house, all day, all night. That's the set. that's all you saw. That like that's all you saw. All I saw every day, right? And 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 then we had out there was alleys in between some of the buildings, and people would be up in the alleys. So, you know, it, it was crack was a big thing, and because I've dealt with it so much, I was like, ah, you know, the idea of selling crack never ended. So in the summertime, one of my old heads, I don't know how I start selling weed. I honestly don't know. Hmm. But one of my old heads, I think somehow, some way, I got down to weed in the summertime. No, I'm lying. I got a summer job. You know, the little summer job in the project. Oh yeah. It I got wasn't my summer. Yeah. <laughs> got wasn't my summer. <laughs> wasn't paying nothing, right? So one of my old heads was like, man, give me the $100. Take this bag of, bag of weed. And every time we want weed, sell it back to us. So hmm. gave him the $100. Made $200. $200. So that was my little summertime money to make sure that me and my brother was good. But when school good. started, <clears throat> but when school started again, um, <clears throat> and, I'm, and I'm missing my older brother. And it's because at the same time, my older brother, Cheese, is still in the backdrop. Yeah. Still in the backdrop. But he he had, you know, he, he cheese was caught up early on. Um, different story, but um, yeah. I, largely, I played basketball. Okay. In the summer, when there, when there, AAU didn't exist that way. Summer leagues <laughs> didn't really exist that way back then. We was just so in the summertime we was off. I worked my summer job, sold weed. School went back. I didn't, so we just scrambled to figure out. And then once basketball ended, I tore my ACL my end of my junior year, and wow. after that. It was uh That's all you was, knew. Yeah, it was it was right to the hustle. It wasn't even it wasn't even I was in funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna put the person on blast, right? Cause no, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm let him live, but I was in my bed, my ACL surgery bed. I probably mm-hmm. ain't even come up off the drugs yet. Huh. I'm probably like laying there. And I remember the doctor saying, like, cause I tore my ACL. It's the projects. It ain't like now you right. tear your ACL, you go get a surgery the next day. My ACL yeah, was torn. That. My ACL was torn for like months. So oh. here I am. I don't know what a tear torn ACL is. I'm a kid. Mm-hmm. The, the swelling go down. I go try to play basketball in a torn ACL oh again. <laughs> knee buckles again and knee swells again. So I probably do yeah. that for months and months and months before the surgery. So by the time I get the surgery, they're like, "You're shot." <laughs> like, yeah, you're done, bro. What are you talking like, about? Like, like bro, you're done. ACL is torn to shreds, uh, and and I don't know what he's saying. I'm just, you know, and then in, yeah. in, in comes my homie and was like, "Yo, he handed me a 38 snub," and hmm. was like, "You know what it is, bro." Hmm. Hey, nigga, hoop dreams is over. Wow, and so that became you, you know kinda, your reality you of what the it. life you was about to live, right? So and I'll, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I was gonna say, at some point, you ended up moving to North Carolina, though, right? Yeah, I mean, fast forward that that probably that 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 uh that ACL event happened when I was seventeen. Okay. Uh, so I think if if you break my life, if you break up my life from um zero to eight, mm-hmm. eight to seventeen, seventeen to twenty five. I moved to North Carolina when I was 25. I think 17 to 25 ah. was my whole relationship, my whole relationship with the streets. It seems like forever, right? But wow. in those years is is the years where I really like so much happened in those years. And 
ultimately begin to inform the rest of my adult life. But at 25 is when I was like, man, everything, everything that I've learned here and everything that I'm seeing and now a part of, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to end up dead. What was so what was what was happening between that period, right? Because that's such a that's such a you know influential period of life, right? Like you're starting to become a man. Obviously, you had scenarios where you you probably had to grow up faster than uh, any kid should ever grow up. But what were you seeing where it was just like, yeah, I'm I'm surprised if I make it alive tomorrow? Uh hustle and death, yo. Because, I mean, because largely everybody's trying to grind because you think you think it's your only way out. Right. Because remember what we started it with is this idea that hustling is the only way out. Right. And and keep in mind, everybody who who I went to school with dropped out in ninth grade. Tenth grade. And or if they stayed, they was barely going to school. They stayed just so they could tell their mom they was in school, even if they was in school even two days in a right. year. Like even yeah. if they was never there, it was straight F's send a report card home, I go to collect it and argue with my mom later. Does that make sense? <laughs> but for the right. most part, it was like, you know, people trying to get to it. And and then, let me go into mental health for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People were f- depressed. Because mm. when it hits you, when you're a young man and you look up and it hits you, like all you see in is bodies dropping, uh, the, the parents of of your friends or, or, or drug addicts, drug addicts, um, people willing to, um, violate themselves sexually or anything for drugs. Like you start to get this view of the world, this, just so f-ed up and no one wants to help anyone. Right. It's, it's like, it's, it's like, for it's self. less about throwing for self. Like think about how white America looks at the hood and all its problems. Like it's their problems. Go look, you go mm-hmm. live in there. Don't mm-hmm. don't go any there. Those people are horrible. And it's not yeah. that we horrible, but like, yo, no one's helping us. There's no, you think welfare's help? You think all these like systems you put in place are there to help, right? Yeah. So you got people, young men who are largely depressed. So they get high, they start smoking yeah. weed. And, and then some of them become addicts themselves, right? Then there's dudes who are hyper aggressive. And now mm-hmm. they like, no, I'm not going to hustle. I'm going to take. So now they they robbing, right? And then you got dudes like myself, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm I'm a finesse, and I'm gonna get to this money differently. Hmm. So I'm a hustle, right? So right, what, what you see is people that's really trying to make it out, and they're not trying to hurt nobody. It's just that you want to provide a better a better life for yourself, and mm-hmm. in the process of making a better life for yourself, this cast of characters, right? Yeah, the cops, Mm -hmm. the robbers, the hustlers, right? Now it's it's this thing that's happening, and because we're all thrown in this place where the bad guys are at, we're all just bad, right? Yeah. So for me, I was living, I was living in that bubble, but I was always keenly aware of the bubble that I was in. Mm. I was in it eyes wide open. My eyes were never Mm. closed. I understood everything that I was doing, right or wrong. Right? right. That's why I can't. So, so that's what ultimately made me leave because it was like, yo, even if I don't leave, even if I leave, I could come back. This will always be here. This will always like, be here. <laughs> like, this is never going anywhere. So, mm-hmm. like, I got to give myself a shot. Life got to be about something 
more than more. this. And right. e- even once I, you know, hustled, went to jail, came home, and and quickly realized, like, all right, okay, so jail ain't that bad, right? In the grand scheme of things. <laughs> you're living, you're getting three meals a day. Do I hustle to go to jail or hustle to mm-hmm. make it out? And you see the rates in which people getting indicted and you start laughing like, eh, you know, the odds of making it at a long, eh, ain't ain't looking good. I could try. I probably have some success, but if I don't find something else to do, inevitably something's going to give. Yes. That's just the the facts. Just, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm playing statistics here, right? Remember, I'm the smart one. I went to college. I got the degree. So (laughs) the stats I'm playing in my mind, like statistically, This don't work out, right? Like, this don't work. Mm, right? And then You've seen the this other, movie too many times. <laughs> yes. And then on the other side, when you wake up every day, you wake up, brush your teeth, put your pants on. Here's the key thing. What's the next thing you do, Bima? Grab a gun and put it on your head. Wow. When you have to carry a pistol every moment of every day, it's a realization that eventually hits you like, man, what the... And, and it's not like, it's not like you, it's not, it's for show. It's not for show. People it's drop It's not for it. show. It's for protection. It's literally it's for like, protection. If I don't, it's either my life or their life, really, at the end of the day. So you saying to yourself, like, I, I say all the time, no one's born a murderer. God doesn't mm-hmm. make murderers. Environments mm-hmm. make murder. Environments yeah. make murders. People who, people who've seen too many funerals, lost too many loved ones, or in, or in pain and agony about what's happened to their loved one. That's what makes murderers, mm. right? So you you start to you start to see all these things, and you quickly realize, like, man, even if even if and not if, I was in Pittsburgh after I came home, just trying to live a regular life, like trying to be a regular Joe, right? Trying, trying to not build to, my life, trying not to engage with, you know, drugs uh, and, and street I- life, illegal, right? illegal activities, right? Okay. Okay. And even when you, even when you, I'm off probation now, but even when you trying to do that, you still got to carry a gun. Now, here you are a felon. <laughs> here you are a felon, probably on paper, trying to do the right thing, right? But how do you live in the same environment? I'm, I'm, there's people who, who want to kill me because I'm from where I'm from for no other reason. Mm. For no other reason, just for, location. For no other reason. He's from there. He's one of them. Knock his head off, mm. right? Like, I'm so I could be going to try to go do whatever I'm trying to do and be a, a, the good good Samaritan citizen. And <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. Uh, no one cares if you want to get you don't get a chance to say time out. I want to be time out. I I'm wanna, trying to better myself. <laughs> <laughs> time out. I want to be a better person. Man. Mm. Yeah. That's so, the reality. That's the reality. Yes. So I was like, man, I'm out. Hmm. So why and North I, Carolina though? What was out there? God engineering. It was I was I walked in the library when I was busted. I picked up I believe the USA Today or the Wall Street Journal, and it was a blurb that said um, opportunities for Black folks, something along those lines in North Carolina, and it always stuck with me. So huh. I, I'm a I'll write everything down. So in my goals, just automatically, North Carolina sounds like a good North place Carolina. for me. Charlotte. Cool. I, I I never Googled it, never nothing. It was time to go, and I just went. What well, what year was this? Uh, two thousand two thousand four. Two thousand four. So you you moved to North Carolina, and 
what was like what was what was the plan when you got there like man (laughs) it was (laughs) i looked at retail like it was retail okay it's buying and selling right so Mm -hmm. largely 17 17 through 25 years old understood buying and selling right yes i got I got I got a I got a uh, I got a uh, BS in business uh, with a concentration in marketing, economics, and finance was in there. So I'm like, yo, if I don't know how to do nothing else, I know how to, how to do these numbers. Mm-hmm. I, know to, I know how to make it go. So give me four walls. You give me a product to sell that's legal, and mm-hmm. and then and then now let's back it up, right? Right. Because now, when you ain't got to worry about people approaching you this way. <laughs> which made which which made like Hove's line so magical, right? Like nobody ever touched me because they know I'm with. The sorry, right? not so, sorry. <laughs> so 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 when you when you know in your mind like, ain't nobody gonna touch me. Like physically, no, no one's harming me. No That's one's not gonna. gonna yeah. I'm never gonna allow that to happen because you right. know protect your safety. So with that in mind, now you say to yourself, all I gotta do is be the best person. I know how to do. Hmm. So moving, I'm sorry, best be the best person I know how to be. So hmm. moving was the first time. College was actually another time it, uh, yeah. when I went to college uh, and, and landed on a college campus. And moving in North Carolina felt similar because I could show up in those places as James Whitner. Nobody at home calls me James Whitner, by the way. Anybody from our project, hmm. do they do not call me James? Um, yeah. But in in North Carolina. North Carolina. I could be, I have potential to be. I have potential to be James Whitner. Hmm. This guy who who understands street culture, right? Innately. This guy who has a keen understanding and knowledge of business, right? This right. guy who loves, loves, loves the grind. Cool, right? That's all yeah. I needed was white space. And there mm-hmm. it began. There, there it begun. Did you have any examples, uh, you know, of successful retail outside? Like, did you have any mentors, or this was like you're like listen, this is the be- all listen, me? Listen, in the beginning, I stunk. <laughs> tell me, wait, tell me, come on. <laughs> what do you mean? Tell me. What I was, was wait, so what horrible, was the name bro, of the, What was the name bro. of the spot? Listen, like, listen, give us the, the picture. Na- listen, the name wasn't so bad, right? Because because if you know where I'm from, the name's not that bad. The name's Flavor Factory, right? But keep in mind. <laughs> from the project so it makes sense right <laughs> the name makes sense but retail to me back then was slap walls right yeah it was slap walls it wasn't it wasn't to me nice retail was louis vuitton but that was like some other shit, right yeah and then it was like hood retail was slap wall but it was always cluttered and messed up so instead always, of mine's thousand, getting cluttered, thousand things yeah, on the wall. thousand things stacked up all <laughs> nasty so mine's was like like slap wall but folded nice and back then, remember, plasma TVs was like a thing thing back then. And their minds had two black screens. <laughs> Shout out to Hutch, man. man Hutch. I remember, yo, I met Hutch my first day. And that's why I give Hutch so much love. I met, I met Hutch and Anthony Blue my first day. Okay. And Hutch took so much time. And this dude talked to me every day for months, right? He don't, he don't know I'm a sponge. No one really knows, you know, everybody's from the hood, this black that we, that that we know. Right. So he didn't really know that who he was, you know, how, how, how I was wired. 
So he would just sit and give me the information and sit and give me the information. He was like, you know what, bro? I didn't talk to you for like, this had to be, I think it probably took him about six, seven months. He was like, mm-hmm. man, I'm going to come down. He came down with a dude named Ronnie that ain't in the industry no more. Not Ronnie Flag, another Ronnie. Yeah. He came down to my store and I remember they looked at it like, I can see the look in his eyes that my store wasn't good. <laughs> Wait, and so Hutch, what was, so what's Hutch's background? Uh, Hutch is one of the partners of the foundation. Hutch, okay. is, Hutch okay. is Antoine Freeman. So he's one of the partners of the okay. foundation. But his eyes, I could see that what I was doing, it wasn't he good. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> I some help. And at so, that point, you thought, did you think you were, you were like, you thought you was doing well. You thought it was like, yo, this is the best of the best. Bro, listen, I came to North Carolina, opened up a store, and I was making 60000 a month. Doing about $60,000 a month in sales, $65,000 a month in sales. Wow. I'm from the corner. That's great. This is a win. Yeah. I'm not breaking the law. This is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best thing. This is great. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? In my mind, right? Right. And and, and Hutch, Hutch just, like, he knew me. He was like, bro, the same taste level that you have, like, when you're making Mm -hmm. food, I like to cook. It's like, when you're making food, he made it relatable to me. Mm Mm-hmm. He made me understand like, yo, because I was selling things that were cool. I just didn't understand that it all connected, like everything. Tell the story, how to like lay it out in the store and just have this, have this premium, you know, appeal when you walk in. What what was, and what were some of these accounts you had? Like what, what, what product were you selling? Uh, At that time it was, uh, this is uh, early was 10D, Schmack. Uh, mm-hmm. Nike was hitting me with the Boo Boo account. I had like the Nike, the Nike Hope You Go Out of Business Soon account. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, what come? Wait, what comes with that account? Give me like, give me an idea. Like, what's showing? Up? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I think they generally w- was hoping that I would just stop calling them. <laughs> uh, oh my god. So, so it's it's like this whole idea in my mind, like yeah, it was it was Schmack, uh, Ten Deep. You got to remember, Ten Deep was like a uh, uh, Red Monkey, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, oh, uh, 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 LRG at some of those points. So it was this blend yes. of like streetwear and urban. Because in my mind, right in my mind, in my mind, I was the guy that was, you know, I and, and to me, I'm the coolest. Right. I've always yeah. had confidence. So to me, yeah, I've yeah. never lacked you confidence. Gotta. Right. So mm-hmm. in my mind, and you know, I come from a place where I'm somebody, right? Yes. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, this is this is gonna be Louis Vuitton meets uh PRPS in an alley and has a baby, and that's flavor factory. <laughs> and at that time, <laughs> this is looking at me like, is you high? <laughs> And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, you know, hood dudes in luxury and, you know, like every, to, like it's always been the case that everybody's always uh, emulated what happened in the streets. Everybody wanted to be our cool, have our swag, be our tough, be our confident, be our cool, right? Mm-hmm. But but not get killed, right? So here I am now and I'm like, this is all making sense. What Hutch did was tinker with my mind enough to make it all connect. Uh, that's what, like, he was, even, 
he served as kind of like the to help you stabilize what was happening in your head and like really plan and stretch this out into a vision. Yeah. He helped you with vision. He didn't know it. He didn't know it though. He was mm. giving me all of the information. Mm. And and I'm getting and he's giving me all he, he was helping me because at that point I come from Whitaker. So I no. don't even know what the examples of great I don't even know what greatness looks like. So what's he giving you from an example standpoint? Man, Hutch would like scour the internet and find every website. Back then, Commonwealth was a machine. Yes. Uh, uh, shout out to Omar and everything that I ain't going to say what they was because not like he's an entity. But if you don't remember like OG Commonwealth and then there's something else to be said for competition. There was a store in Charlotte called Niche Market. This dude, Bobby, mm-hmm. this hated me, right? <laughs> and, and he didn't understand who he was dealing with. So he'd probably look at himself in the mirror and realize like, so he, he, Commonwealth was doing his its thing. So he was emulating Commonwealth, right? Mm-hmm. But what Niche was doing in Charlotte was so good for streetwear. And it was something that I didn't understand, right? Because right. I'm like, why is all these dudes trying to take what we do, position it, and they're doing it? And I'm like, but this is actually us. So I'm looking like, Looking at what Omar was doing, I was like, damn, it's like these cool kids is just like, hmm. they're cool in their minds because they want to hang with us. But if we don't hang with them, they going to have their own little thing. Anyway. I was like, yeah, this is interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. what's happened over the last 15 years is the East Side kid that was skating in counterculture and the hood kid that was in the streets. These dudes always wanted to lean a little more towards us. And we mm-hmm. always was trying to get out the projects, right? Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. And watch, you watch now this radical shift that these guys over here trying to be in the projects and these guys in the project trying to get out, right? right. And, and there's been this convergence <laughs> of, of, of the world and that's all that we see that's happening because you see now hip hop scales and Jay's a billionaire and all these things, right. right? So all those things like with Hutch helping me understand like what greatness looked like in like, you know, Japan, and, and keep in mind, and, oh, I'm still on federal probation, right? So you, yeah, you can't go anywhere. You, I can't go nowhere. I can barely right. go to Magic. I can barely go to the Magic show, like, mm. at that time, right? I had to call my probation officer, like, yo, I got to go here for work and get approval, right? Right. I remember when, when she gave me my release off of federal probation, the first thing I'd done, I mean, it wasn't even a whole week. I was in Japan. You was in Japan. What year was this? Um, I got off a of paper in 07. 07. And so you, it wasn't even a week, you said? And you just wasn't even you booked a week. the flight and went to Japan? Wasn't even a week. Me and my uh, my fiance at the time, uh, man, we... <laughs> what was it about Japan that you just had to get there? It was it was the heart of street culture. What not, what was, is, mm. right? Like, if you look at, if you look at the integrity that's always existed with Japanese streetwear. Like you look at neighborhood and hell, let's just peel it all back. Yeah. Look at with Nigo. This dude, this is why dudes call Nigo like the sensei. Because the simplicity and integrity that was formed there. And, and that's what it, it all was that, right? Mm-hmm. So Nigo was the son, right? Yes. And then you look at Hiroshi and all these other dudes. And it's like, damn it was this level of just like consistency and like regardless of the economic circumstances, they didn't 
He didn't waver. He just Mm-mm. was like steady, steady. So it was like, all right. <laughs> and then fast forward a little bit, I started to understand luxury. And you think about what LVMH is. Mm-hmm. LVMH controls steady, right? And I'm about to get a little business on y'all now. Mm-hmm. They control it by being vertical, right? Mm. Like if you look at neighborhood and, and Bape, Bape in the beginning, when Nico still earned, owned it, that's why it was vertical. He was emulating what LVMH was doing, right? Mm. In the street world at that point, streetwear kids didn't understand the business understand that LVMH carrying right. and LVMH and what the, uh, if, you, if you look at Hermes and Goyard, mm-hmm. what, what, what they were building. Once I understood, like once I could understand the hustle, right? Right. The, the street part of me needed to understand the hustle. The intellectual side of me needed to understand the understand the strategy, and what Hutch did was tinker with who James was. Once I understood that, hmm, it started to click. Not started, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like somebody came and smacked it. <laughs> it hit me, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, I got you now." When we come back in just a moment, the recession hits and James's hustler mentality kicks into gear. What's up, Claim of Stories family? It's time we hear from you, our community. Through 99 Days of Design, a 99 Designs by Vistaprint initiative, we've selected 12 BIPOC businesses and creatives impacted by COVID-19 to receive $15,000 in cash, a design makeover, and marketing assets. For this week's 99 Days of Design feature, let's hear from Brittany Nicholas of Body Melt, a beauty and wellness business based in New Orleans. My friend was telling me about the world of body butters. And so I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I like the way that it makes my skin feel. It's natural. Like, I love all that, you know? I didn't get anything of too many benefits from it though. I just really liked the way it made me feel. So, and I liked supporting other people. Then my aunt was telling me that I could like customize it. She was like, you know, I make my own. You should be able to make your own too. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I think I might get into that because if you can customize it, I might want to put more than what other people's putting in there and really just kind of see what works for me. So I did that. I graduated with a sales and marketing degree. I love the business hustle. That's what I do. I just was so caught off guard that I had found something that was like that I could make that was sustainable for me that I was going to use anyways, you know. That's really how the business got born. I mean, I have all my things in, my new jars, my new labels and all of that. But all of that came during thinking, during the slowdown of the pandemic. I was able to be like, do the work in the morning, like eat breakfast, like create, create, create knock out some ideas for what we think is next. And I like did a new pricing strategy, like all kinds of stuff because I had new things, you know? And um, yeah, I was like ready. I was like, I'm about to attack this coronavirus. Y'all about to see me. And that's exactly what happened. I see body melt in the hands of as as many people as possible. And that looks like being inside of stores. I've been getting approached about getting inside of stores, but it's kind of like that nervousness on when I did do the relaunch, like I needed like back up <laughs> during that time so that I would be like, you know, all my corners, are, all my T's are crossed, all my I's are dotted, and now I'm ready to do this. And I was shipping stuff, so that was new. And so now 
I've done the shipping thing and I'm getting it in people's hands. I need to get it in that store. But I'm, it's, it's nerve wracking and I need to ramp it up just that much more. And so I've started preparing for that right now, but that's definitely what's next for Body Melody. As she prepares for what's next, Brittany shares her experience working with 99designs to elevate her branding for Body Melt. That was a definitely an interesting process. I hadn't done anything like that in particular before. And I don't know if I was even ready for like what I got from that experience. It was so cool. Like I told you last year was me redoing the logo and that was me like really trying to figure this out you know but it really gave me a chance to understand like what my brand identity was and who i am and what we represent and all of that stuff so now when i get someone who like with my my marketing background i have graphic design experience you know i i do this and that you know but i got to deal with somebody who was a professional that really does lives, leaves, eats, breathes this because I, and I know it because I would get messages from them at all hours of the day and night. They want to know, like, how can I make this better for you? What is this? Like, and they really took what I said and created what I saw. I have a coach with 99 Designs. I had someone that like helped me along like, with this process, and she was amazing. Her name was Sabrina. Shout out Sabrina. But um, she you know, really help me use my adjectives on like what it didn't like really pull it out of somebody without really having to show them. And I got it. We deserve to be put in your store now. This is the type of stuff that I'm telling you that I was afraid to get in those stores because I'm like, no, there's just like small things, just really small but big things that I want to have done. And I don't have to think about it when it's time to make that marketing material, make that stuff like this is important. It belongs in a luxury retailer. So now with my logo and now with my new material that I have to express why this is such a big deal without you even trying it first, that makes a big difference to me. You know what I'm saying? As a person who believes in this product, you know, I want it to be shown from the very beginning. When you look at my logo, you're like, who I want to go in this store? What I'm going to get now is equipment. There is commercial grade equipment out there that can help me just make, like, I'm talking about streamline myself by an hour. <laughs> like, I can save time. And as a business owner, that is really what is most important for me right now because I need time. That was Brittany Nicholas of Body Melt, a beauty and wellness business based in New Orleans. Learn more about 99 Days of Design, a 99 Designs by Vistaprint initiative at 99designs.com. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claim of Stories. So it's 2008, and James is a newlywed. The country is in a recession, and he is completely broke. I ain't never been broke in my adult life. Never, never. Yeah. If there was two streets that crossed, I knew how to make a dime, yeah. right? But now, here you are, 08, the recession hits. The recession hits, right. And I'm like, I gets married, mm -hmm. and I'm broke. I what what several, was happening with the shop? What was like, things weren't moving the way you... I had the Nike account, the recession hit. And keep in mind, in 07, that's when, that's when it really affected the world. In mm -hmm. 08, they called it a recession because of what was already happening in already 07. Happening, right. The consumer, the consumer, the, 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 the words of the, of the government when they make these statements is, is a six to a year lag of what's actually happening in the world. Yes. So... I suffered largely through 07 
And then I'm like, well, you know, you only get married once. So you spend the money and you want to make her happy and you, you, you doing these things and you, you start saying like, and, and hold on, she wasn't the other half. Uh, uh, Nini is not the gold digger, not in, in her. Mm -hmm. So I don't want nobody to read it that way. It's, mm -hmm. it's me trying to build what this all looks like. Right. 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 But I'm broke. <laughs> so what do you do? Find something to sell. Hmm. Here comes jeans. Hmm. Right? Like me, I'm sitting there like... I can't take this loss. Nah. Like, it's... it's, it's as I remember saying to her one day, like, I think... I was sitting there, I was stressed. Right? Where you starting to have that moment. And I'm like... I... I said, like, yo, I think I'm going to get a night job overnight at Home Depot. She looked at me and was like, what you talking about? Nah. Hmm. You're not figuring it out right now, so you stressed out. I got it. Figure it out. Mm -hmm. 30 days later. On a plane to China. So break down what happened in these 30 days. Alibaba.com. Shout out. My man. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Alibaba, yo. Yo, I remember. I remember. I definitely. I de oh, my goodness. Yeah, definitely use Alibaba. Yo, so me, Japanese salvage denim was the Everybody wanted to set the salvage edge, everybody, right? Everybody, everybody wanted, the salvage, wanted edge. the salvage edge, right? Okay. So that was a thing. And jeans was going for 225, 250, right? Yes. And it was PRPS that was popping and all these things in. But if you ain't got no bread, you can't bring an inventory. Exactly. And, and, and if money needs to go out faster than it's coming in, even once you get cash flow, you got to pay the bills to stay up. Mm -hmm. So you can't bring in enough inventory. So I'm like, I need to get inventory cheaper and sell more. Right. I'm going to make some jeans. Hmm. I called Pal. Uh, yo, Pal, come down. Pell flies down. Um, and I think Pell was going through something personal in his life at that time, too. That's how God works, right? Because mm -hmm. he came down to help. And I was such in, like, my 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 crib is the lab at this point, right? Yeah. Um, Nene, I married at this time. Now she gets a job at Deloitte. So now it's me, my daughter, Jaden, right? Mm -hmm. In the store. And me and Pell, we in the lab. And I'm on the phone with Hutch every night. And I'm sitting there with Pell. And I'm going and I'm going and I get the social status idea hit me. I finally got mm. a name like, because, you know, mm. the store had some cachet because we had the account list. Because by this time, by this time, we carrying BBC. We like okay. got real, real, real you got, accounts. You got, you got the stuff people want. But BBC, people got, B don't have a lot of money. But, you know, you got stuff. Yes. And this is BBC before BBC was like, why? Yes. This is BBC like 20 accounts. Mm -hmm. So... Pale came down, cooked up the social status logo for me. I got on Alibaba.com and found somebody went reverse back. When I went to Japan is when jeans first hit me. I could only get a, I can only bring a hundred mm -hmm. pairs back in my bag though. So what I brought hmm. back, I, I sold. That's how I knew it would work. Right? <laughs> because yeah, when so I you, when you I came back, you had a working model. You was like, yo, if I can move that, I can move more of that. Listen, once again, always a hustler, right? Right. So now, now and I got the, now and I understand. I believe in what I believe in. I understand what the consumer needs. The community got my back. I just now and I needed to work some capital up to build the model. 
I get on Alibaba. I found a factory who said they would make jeans for me. Um, they told me they would have a sample. And they're used to like saying, well, I'll send it over. It'll take time. I said, no, I'm going to come see it. She was like, well, we got, we can go back and forth with the sample. He said, I said no. no, I'm going to come. I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> Jay, I'll be there tomorrow. The factory says, what? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there tomorrow. Like, I'm going to be, you're going to be here tomorrow. So they said, almost yes. didn't believe me until I showed up. <laughs> Wait, you showed up? Showed up. Had you been, had you been there before? Never. So, I mean, the, the passport, the, you know, the visa, like, you know, all of this. Bro, bro listen, all I know how to do is get it done. Once mm. again, mm. we come from a culture is of if you show, you show me two streets to cross, I'm going to show you how to get to some money, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now that that's always the mentality, right? So you just talking about standing in a passport line, standing in a visa line, getting your visa stamp, right? Going into the country. That ain't nothing in comparison. Remember, Bima, there's two, there's two things that I live by. When people talk to me about stressing our industry, it's two things. I don't care what's happening in sneakers, streetwear, fashion, and luxury. Want to know two things that happened that ain't happening? Nobody's dying. Nobody's going to jail. Nobody's dying. Nobody's going to jail. It boils down to those two things, right? So what the f is making some jeans? It's easy enough. <laughs> I get there, make the jeans. She ship a thousand pairs back. I run through them. I'm back. You run through a thousand pairs of jeans? Run through a thousand pairs of jeans. I'm back. My goodness. And so you just keep investing in that part of the business. And then it just hits me. Social status begin. Started with, started with all that, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Social status begins. Now where I call did that come from? Where, like, me where that sitting in the lab and, and, and sick of being judged by, by snobby, snobby white <laughs> boys and gatekeepers of luxury and fashion. Mm -hmm. All these snob, all these snobby, all these snobby folks, um, all all the gatekeepers at that time were snobby white boys. Yeah. Who who largely and, and this ain't disgruntled, but kinda right. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you, you got you got people who are snobby white guys whose gatekeepers are our culture, telling me we ain't cool enough. Hmm. And social status is social currency, right? Social mm -hmm. status, like you you your your how you look, and your reputation, and where you from. Is is social currency, is social right. status. So right. it hit me one night. I hit Hutch and he was like, that's dope. Once you get that, <laughs> once you get that immediate, it was no thought. He uh -huh. hit me with, ooh, you got one. Yeah. Call you back. Pop. <laughs> and then and I went that? through. And I went, next call was the next call was the Nike. Like, mm. yo, I got this, y'all got I got this, uh, I got this go jump off a bridge Nike account. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I need to have the real Nike account. Mm-hmm. Right? How do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? Did, because of because Bobby from Niche around the corner. Bobby. Okay, Bobby from Niche around the corner was getting that heat. Okay, and I'm looking at him like, y'all really giving this dude the heat? And don't get me wrong, what they was doing was fire. Mm -hmm. Omar from Commonwealth was getting that heat. Mm -hmm. Right, so I'm like, but y'all giving us the garbage. <laughs> uh, this is OG wish. This is how me and Cooker got cool. This is mm -hmm. why I love Cooker to this day. Cooker was one of the original, you know, when, when and that's Frank. <laughs> yes, Frank, you got to realize, like, at that time, the polished James that you get today is not the James that you got in 08. It was a, a bit different. You know what I'm yes. saying? I, I've gotten more polished over the years. Mm -hmm. Frank was one of the dudes that flat out told me, like, big bro, they scared of you, man. 
like mm. you like you just move different they ain't mm. used to somebody moving like you and usually when dudes who come around who move like you they don't last long like mm. i stench of the streets mm. i come with a stench i come mm -hmm. with i lead with that i'm a felon i mm. lead with that i'm from the bottom and then i hit you with i'm trying to kick the door and with from, for everybody else from the from the bottom so you know, guys who don't look like me or don't come from where I come from don't necessarily want to see guys who come from where I come from win. Win, right. Right, right. Like, and, and, and that's the that's the real dynamic, right? So the one thing Cooker said is like, bro, and I'll even give, when status, Social Status launched, Cooker actually left Wish and came to work for Social Status. Wow. Yes. When wow. I launched Social Status as retail, mm -hmm. Cooker left Wish. Like, if anybody ever questions my loyalty to Frank, <laughs> I ain't going to say what they could actually do, but you know what I really mean, right? Because in yes. one of the most pivotal times in my, in my, in my whole story, Frank said, no, nah, bro, I'm going to bet on you. Hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, but less about him and more about how the story evolved. So yes. social status comes up, right? Okay. I hit Nike and say, I need that heat. I need the heat. This dude, John Pine, fights with me back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then eventually was like, man, it's your money. Hmm. What is he fighting with you about? Because... <laughs> give you all the information. <laughs> at the time, at the time, I'm from Pittsburgh, right? So there's yeah. this... Everybody knows Sneaker Villa, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's DTLR, yeah, yeah. now it got sold to whoever. But at the time, Sneaker Villa's bumping. And Nike mm -hmm. is really like behind the city specialty thing. Mm -hmm. But the boutiques, you know, they still got to keep us happy or whatever. And I yeah. wasn't nobody in their world. They didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I stench like the streets. They probably still thought I was a drug dealer or whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So the dude, Jason, I find out years later is hating and don't want me to open. Right. Mm. Right. But eventually John Pine just broke figuring mm -hmm. either it was going to work or it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And Villa didn't know that my man, Kenny Lee, who was running their villa in Pittsburgh, had been hit me for years to understand what he needed to do to make the city to go. To make it work. Yeah, yeah. And he eventually was like, bro, I'm calling you with all the information. For all the information, <laughs> you got all the apparel. Only thing I have is the sneakers. Yeah. Why don't you call Nikes and get, get the sneakers? You mm -hmm. got the apparel and the vision. Come open up at home. Wow. That's why the first social status location was at home. Hmm. And the rest is like history. History. Why, so why, you know, you, you had already had a vision around multiple locations. No. Tell me. No, you didn't. No. Huh. I was going to quit. <laughs> Wait, what, why were you going to quit? Because even though it was all working, right, I've always been very confident in my ability to earn. And I'm an ambitious person. And I understand, like, you know, all you have is time. And I need to, I need to get the maximum, I need to get the most out of what I'm spending my time on. Right. Right. So I've always done real estate, right? Had the six rental properties. And I seen in in the recession, those six rental properties, mm -hmm. those got paid every month. So yes. I had my rental money still, coming every still, month. Yes. Mailbox money was coming. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I just need to do more of this. I'm fighting yeah. with these dudes to try to believe my vision. Mm -hmm. If they don't believe my vision, I'm out. I'm going to go mm. do more of that because I ain't got to fight with them to get I ain't there. I got to fight with them. God engineering. They say, cool, do it. Then insert Kenny Moore. Mm. 
Now who is Kenny cra- Moore? At the time, Nike was making shifts. They they put a brother over. Well, there was already one there, but they put a brother who was willing to hear me mm-hmm. into our role. And shout out to Trish McGinney because what happened was John Pine introduces me to. Uh, John Pine says, "All right, James, I'm gonna let you do this, but right now you on like the Boo Boo Nike account where we hope you jump off the bridge. <laughs> we got to actually give you somebody's phone number so when you call, someone answers. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pick somebody. Mm-hmm. Pick whoever you want all, all across the country. Right? Now, right. Rigo, Steve Riggins, always been he, he should have came in earlier. Right? Rigo's the one who helped me ghostwrite to Nike organization in the beginning. Right? Because okay. he was like, bro, you ain't doing anything wrong. Rigo being a black man and understand understanding how we move and believing in my vision, he helped shape what I was saying and helped me. That's when I first understood, like, I'm saying it. They're just not hearing me. Right, because you're speaking two different languages. Rigo was the person who told me, you need to call John Pine. And this, this is how you need to say it so he's hearing you. Hmm. You're saying it, but what you're saying, you're not saying it in ways where he hears you, mm-hmm. right? Me and Rigo, I was driving. When, when I get the Jordan account, right? And this is why you got to love Jordan. This is why I love MJ. Mm-hmm. You get the Jordan account, right? You got to drive You got to drive go Riley. You got to mm-hmm. drive to Riley. Riley, three hours from Charlotte. Every time I drove to Riley, I was always 30 minutes late for the appointment because the police would pull me over. Wow. Shred the car apart. I mean, when I say shred it, shred it. Wow. Taking these 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 people unscrewed the seats out the SUV. Are you serious? Took the seats out, took the damn spare tire out, went to fucking head, called the dudes, take the center of the these people think I'm trafficking. Hmm. So I say to Rigo after one of the meetings, like Rigo, I ain't never driving up here again. Hmm. I tell him what happened. He said, you know what, James? We're going to do our meetings one-on-one. It gives me more time to spend with you. Mm -hmm. Plus, I don't need you going to jail because you're going to eventually react wrong. And I'm I'm getting to a point now. Yeah, so I'm asking. You probably feeling the type of way, right? Like you feeling, you know, just your natural natural energy is like, yo, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to eventually, I know me, I'm going to eventually do something and they're going to end up, it's going to end up bad for me, right? I see Mm -hmm. where it's going, right? Mm -hmm. Man, shout out to Rigo for A, the mentorship and get me in that office because those one-on-one conversations started to shape the business structure for what social status was. Because mm. then that's how the John Pan conversation happens. Once John Pan's approved approves it, that's why he said, well, listen, now that I need to get you off of the jump off the bridge Nike account where, you know, we really wish you would jump off a bridge, right? I'm going to give you a human's number. Pick a human. You can pick whatever human you want. And I don't know if he was doing that to me to like be condescending yeah. or if or if yeah, he wanted like, to make he, sure. What is he meaning by like pick a human? I, <laughs> no, because no, he was like, pick your own rep, like pick your poison. You oh. you because the, the idea of social status was cockamania to them. It's just sound crazy. Like, you mean this whole lifestyle and culture where everything's exists? Like, why would people even do that? It just doesn't sound smart. I was talking, it was crazy talk to them. Right. This is this is this is a oh nine oh ten two thousand ten man. I call Rigo and say Rigo. This man telling me to pick whoever you want. Rigo tells me pick Trish McKinney. She's in my mm. office. You'll love her. 
Hmm. After that, Kenny Moore, Rigo, Trish McGinney, Kenny Moore, Kerry Connor. Mm-hmm. Those four people at that moment, those four people were the was the first time outside of Hutch was the first time corporate folks made me feel like I wasn't crazy. Wow. And were all these people, were all these black and brown folks? Nope. Well, all of them were black and brown except Trish. But I think okay. Trish might be really black. <laughs> she's not. She, <laughs> she's, she's not. But her, but her back, but her background, this is where this is where color isn't important is at, at times, right? Mm-hmm. Poverty is most important, right? That's mm-hmm. a whole nother conversation, right? Yes. When when you got somebody who's grown up as poor as you and and, and been through some things, she understood my struggle. She it, she may had to understand my blackness through different ways she she may not have been able to identify with that but she could identify with my struggle mm-hmm. right right with those four people those four people said if you keep doing what you're doing this is gonna be some hmm. and i was like kenny said after i'd done one i done pittsburgh mm-hmm I went and took the Flavor Factory store in Charlotte and made it social status now. So now I got two. Mm-hmm. Kenny's you like- You took the plasmas off? You said took the- get. <laughs> Actually, I didn't. I just moved them and designed around them. <laughs> Listen, we also, here's another part of it, right? We also largely don't have no resources. Keep in mind, like selling a thousand jeans at, selling a thousand jeans at uh, $150, it's still only $150,000. Yes. That ain't no money. No. Right? That it ain't no money. More money. It might be more money than maybe seen at one time, but in the context of business. It's in, not the con- in the context of, of business and who my, com- who my counterparts are. Right. Ronnie has Sam. Undefeated has every relationship under the goddamn sun. And for whatever reason, everybody want to make sure Undefeated's always okay. So Undefeated will always be okay. Mm-hmm. James had nobody mm-hmm. right except for these four crazy ass people who at this time have really low level Nike jobs at the time Kerry Connor was a sales rep at the time uh, Kenny Moore was like the sales rep's boss right and Rigo had come from major roles and took a step back for his family so he had executive thinking but he was still only a sales rep right, right. so here I'm with four people who's just giving me the game. Mm. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm a listen. All right. Not that I'm a listen. Y'all think I'm about to make this go crazy. Huh. One store turns to five stores. And what time? Like, what amount of time do you go to five stores? Nine, nine months. Nine months? It was so how fast. Did, how did you work me. through the infrastructure? How did you like work through the, the operations of like one to five? Because very quickly, you start thinking like, Kenny said to me, yo, what I need you to do is first lock down North Carolina because that's your home base. You lock down North Carolina and you able to like James, no one has been able to make retail work in the Carolinas. Everybody looks at it as country as hell. The Southeast <laughs> they look at like is like, like it's country, like 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 they, like there's no pulse, and I'm kind of chuckling, like for real, for real, <laughs> like so Greensboro, they get a rent in Greensboro, it's a thousand dollars. And keep in mind, 
This is 2010. It's mm-hmm. a global recession. Mm-hmm. So Real estate's dirt cheap. cheap. <laughs> Man, I go. I, I start locking in seven-year leases at $1,000 a month. What? Go in, negotiate. I ain't telling them what we're going to do. I'm just telling them like, yeah, no talking to the landlord one-on-one. Because first, you got to finesse them. You can't make them think you black. James Whitner don't sound black, right? <laughs> So I hit on with the finesse move and hit my James Whitner over the email. Yes, hey, how you doing? Hope you're well. You know, my email, my email, uh, my email, my colorless emailing skills is, is, is un, you know, incredible, right? So I hit him with the email. So I, I, I bait him on the email. And then by the time they get the lease in hand, I pop up like, hey, how you doing? I'm James Whitner. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, who? You sure? <laughs> so... We get to the five doors in nine months, largely because the, the, that was cheap. And then shout out to my man, Jeff, from the crib, from Pittsburgh. I, mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, I looked, tried to find a carpenter. If you look at all the early social status stores, the aesthetic is largely made of wood because mm. Jeff is such a great carpenter. Yeah. And from my understanding with retail, with real estate, I understand what you can build with. If you got a, a skilled cabinet cabinet maker, mm-hmm. And you and you work and I'm working with him. It ain't like I'm going through contractors because Mm-mm, you know I've been building out. I'm going direct because I've been doing properties my whole life. So the savvy, right? I'm like Jeff. I need you to build this and build that. And I'm, I'm taking little designs and I'm building it where I could I could build out a store for like ten thousand. Hmm. So I built them out, leverage it up. At the time, I had I had advocates with with Trish, right. uh, with Trish, Kenny, Carrie. Uh, those were my advocates on a Nike side and they're, I'm doing something very different. Like mm-hmm. here's this dude coming out of, coming out of Charlotte yeah. and you know, I'm up against the big, the big New York guy and the big LA Absolutely. guy. Absolutely. And here's this guy in Charlotte and he's managing to make some noise. Mm-hmm. Right. After that, it was like, what's next? What's next? So Things start to grow and go well with social status, right? Like, you know, you get, you got, you, you out of the Nike account you don't want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you starting right. to get, you starting to get better, better product. You got accounts with some of these other brands as well. And, and then you start thinking about another concept. And so I don't know what the time period was around Amama Yer, but what, like, why did you need something different outside of social status, right? Like, why would you need something different? Why a different concept? Because go back to the Flavor Factory days, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, remember, the idea was Louis Vuitton mixed with, you know, PRPS. And I'm not, not the end of PRPS. I'm talking about Don Juan over there himself washing jeans by hand, <laughs> blowing on them dry, then putting that rock dust on them and coming home like, there's only 17 pairs of these in the world. That's the RPS, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, in my mind, is that mm. that hasn't happened yet. Hasn't the only thing yet. that I that I'd accomplished was streetwear. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten through the East Side white boy gate gatekeeper crew, right? Mm-hmm. Now I needed to get into luxury, right? Mm-hmm. And also, my life is a little different now, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, at the time, I'm still married. Um, I, I, I have a kid. Actually, I've had two kids at that point. Okay. So I'm slowing down, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm 
I'm I'm hitting him. I'm in my zone now. Like I used to think before. This is when I hadn't had a relationship with Cooker. Mm. Now my relationship with Cooker, we we tight. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm tight with everybody, and I'm realizing like I have all the vision. Hmm. I just don't. Ha- I didn't know it at the time. I just had the confidence to move forward with what I was thinking. But in hindsight, I had the vision. I just didn't have the proper resources. Right. Exactly. But I'm thinking like this idea of I'm a Meniere and merging these things. And shout out to Chris from Union. Mm. Because Chris has been doing this thing for so long and doesn't get like his flowers for what he's done and what he's built quietly, so humble mm-hmm. and so meek and so quiet and just a good human being, right? Absolutely. So I'm seeing like all of these things just floating. But if you, I think everybody knows by now, I'm a lot more hood than Chris, right? <laughs> It, like it's that's probably the difference in our, you know, I'm just, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I need that. You know what I'm saying? I need that, that hood yeah. thing on it. Like, cause it's still, a, it's still an extra mm, that, yeah. that, that everybody's not comfortable with. There's a certain amount of it that needs to be there. You can't have too much of it, right? Mm-hmm. Because too much of it gets you labeled, mm-hmm. but just enough of it makes you edgy. Mm. Right? And I needed to edge. Here we go. You know, roaming through Paris streets and I was like, yo, this I'm a Meniere thing. Like, I want to build this luxury thing and I want it to be like, for us, luxury with an edge. Mm. Luxury for the street kid. You know, and, and the street kid is, you know, kids that's coming from our world that's now converting because now, right. you know, there's this thing that's happening. Yeah, we can see things, yeah. And now, keep in mind, I was just in the Carolinas. So going to Atlanta, people was like, Luke, you work because you're in Charlotte. Nobody's in Charlotte. You can't. I remember somebody at Nike said to me, you're going to get smashed. You'll get smashed in New York. You'll get smashed in Atlanta. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm staring down Atlanta like, here we come. Mm -hmm. And the idea went, and I remember I sat down and and this is when Pyrex was ending and Off-White was starting. Mm. And I remember sitting in the room and, and, and pitching it to Off-White. And I remember the eyes going. That's when I knew I had it. Huh. And I remember I was, at, his, I was at, at this thing and I flew to Japan. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him about it. And I watched the eyes go. I'm like, oh, shit, I got him. Yeah. Right? And as I say it to people, I'm watching the eyes go. Because the difference... L.A. can never be what Atlanta is. Mm-hmm. New York can never be what Atlanta is. Mm. Atlanta's uniquely Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's the heart of all black excellence. It's where black corporate, black bougie, black hood, black rap, and the essence of everything that we are. It's in Atlanta. It's Atlanta. When it happened, it went off like a bomb. Boom, <laughs> here we are. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And then AP, APB works because, because mm-hmm. like, there's nothing in the Carolina. There's nothing in South Carolina. And very quickly, um, my, our partners wanted us to just have a presence in a region. It started, mm-hmm. regionality started being a part of the conversation. Like, James, how can you, how can you expand a region even if you don't water down your other brands? Mm-hmm. Uh, but how can you make sure there's a point of view for these kids in these other small markets that people aren't talking to? Tell me about 
like as you start to roll through these projects and the project that a lot of us are talking about right now is this is this Jordan 3 right this this Jordan 3 now coming from where you come from all the things you've had to navigate um what what is so important about this story with this Jordan 3 I mean I think we've been talking for I don't even know how long now right but I think you get an understanding you know there there there's a I'm from the projects, right? Jordan is the most luxurious expression of, like, you know, people in the hood, like, Jordan's is that validation. It's that, you know what I'm saying? I don't care how poor you are, that, 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 that Jordan is just, you know, that, you know, what MJ stands for in greatness and watching him come out at that time and give you, give you 35 every night and give it to you if he got the fever or the flu. It just spoke to like the rigidness and um, how how we needed to how we needed to stand up for greatness, even regardless of the circumstances. Right. You start looking at some of those things. So the Jordan relationship had been like brewing in the background. Right. For quite time. Right. Quite some time. Because it speaks to who Carrie is as 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 an individual. Right. Because her career ascended. Like, mm. like Right. <clears throat> and. The introduction to Jordan Brand. When Carrie left Nike and went over to Jordan Brand, it was like, hey, here's this guy, and he's not New York or LA, but he is the embodiment of what being black is like and how to struggle and grind and how to make it out of nothing, right? And she gave me a platform to let people know who I was, and she gave me space to work comfortably mm-hmm. and not allow people to put narratives on me. Mm-hmm. Which right? is so because, important. Gosh, yes, it's important. Because I don't, I, I can't show up like, like, like Ronnie, right? Mm-hmm. Ronnie is meteoric rise. Take, take Sam out of it, right? Ronnie at the time is now, you know, he in the background and he's, he's, he's in the background for me, right? If it's, if it's my story, he's in the background because he's rising like a rock and he's killing, right? Mm-hmm. He come with the ASIC. Did he come with uh? He come with the whatever that pant was. I had the name a second <laughs> yeah, ago yeah. before I was gonna say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the bleaker pant or whatever the bleaker that pant. pant, which is yeah. a jogger, but yeah, the bleaker pant. Yep. Yeah, he come with that pant, and then um, you know, Sam come in and and Ronnie starts moving, and he's in New York, and he's this thing, right? And the only thing I could ever counter it with was my hard work, my grind, and the few people that believed in me because at that time, and I'll keep saying it because it's going to be an important part of the narrative and I'm not going to let it be forgotten. Mm-hmm. For as many Kenny Moores and Kerry Connors and Steve Riggins and Trish McGinnies was there was, that's four. Mm-hmm. There were probably 400 people trying to push us down. Wow. Saying, no, nah, they ain't nothing. They not nothing, yeah. They not that. there. Hmm. That, right, that. It's undefeated. It's Ronnie. These are the things that are important for us, right? It's it's not, it's not this, it's not that. And I still don't see those those guys are incredibly important to our culture, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, yeah, you just provide. But it's not us in them, it's not us or Mm -hmm. it can be and and right. So what made the Jordan thing incredibly important because Jordan being a company that works over there on its own, 
the embodiment of that brand is has always been about supporting black folks in mm. its conversation and relationship with the black community, mm-hmm. right? It just, in a big corporate setting, they just couldn't say it, mm-hmm. right? But if you look at everything and how they serve the consumer and how they done business and everything that was important to them through their actions, it was always those things, right? right. So this, 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 this relationship is already happening. And then, you know, fast forward, because a lot of people would think like, well, Nike and Jordan started like talking to James before, you know, at, at George Floyd. You know, it was it was right. convenient. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them some credit. Mm-hmm. I was screaming for a lot of years. Yes. To try to get them to work with me. So it, it wasn't, it, this wasn't a moment. It's been, it's been a big, it's been a backdrop and it's been a, it's been us all working towards this moment. I think um, the thing where I got to give uh Nike, not just Nike, like all of our brand partners, a lot of credit. And specifically, it got to be about Nike right now because it's, it's the moment that Jordan, it, it, it's specifically Jordan because of the moment we're in. I mean, they was with it. They, they were like, yo, you know, it's been something that, you know, we, we've done a lot of small things. Uh, we've done Art Basel, not a small mm-hmm. thing, right? The Basel was- That's not a small thing. not a small thing, right? We've done the six and it wasn't a process that we all love, but I think we we had a moment, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I'd long to want to have the full relationship to be able to tell our stories with mm. freedom. Like, like mm. you know, because what you start to find is, um, because I sit in a really strange place because I'm I'm not a I'm not an influencer, nor do I want to yeah. be, right? Right. I'm I'm curating the world as I see it, right? So I'm, I sit as a retailer and a brand and a curator and a visionary of just um, vibes and trying to create a world for um, people who come from where I come from, like going back to the root of the story, like I'm a kid from the project. So right. my story is trying to help other kids and kick the door open and, and, and create parity in the world so it exists equally for for black folks, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the brand just couldn't put me in a box. Mm. And and then, you know, MJ, well, M- MJ becomes an advocate because he understands who I am, right? Right. Then, then the Brett, then, then Carrie, Carrie goes over there, Dixon's over there, Gentry's over there, uh, Craig Williams comes in to, to become mm-hmm. the president of the brand. The president. And, 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 a per, and, and, a, and, a, and a friend and a mentor. And you would think like, None of these things make it easier for them to make a decision and make Mm. it easy for them to just say, no, it was never like we need to do this thing for James because I never wanted it that way. Right. It had to, the three only worked because the brand had to get comfortable being uncomfortable because there's a part of the brand made the proclamation and said like Jordan brand is going to serve and stand Mm -hmm. up for the black community. Right? right, and what I am a voice for—I I can't speak for all Black folks, right? Mm-mm. But my story mirrors tons of kids who grew up in the struggle, and here I am, right? So it became an opportunity before George Floyd happened for us to have this look in the mirror and say, "Hey, we need to tell authentic Black stories." Mm-hmm. Nico Fern came in and said, "Listen." We need James 
to tell a story for black women because right now, the way we're seeing black women misses, misses all of the black women that are really in those places. It was Nico who said, James, listen, you're not a woman, but you come from where you come from. You got taste. And if I know nothing else, you won't f this up. <laughs> Looked at me straight up like, bro, homie, you got a responsibility to get this right. But one thing about I like about Nico is he never took the pressure off of me. Hmm. Never. And he didn't do it in a way that was like adversarial. He no, done it no, in a way no. that was, was very motivational. Yeah, he's in my right. corner. He's right. saying, bro, this is a moment where we get a chance to talk about who we are and where we're really from. And some people, as much as we think we stand for black excellence, they see it as black ignorance. Hmm. And you have to take these moments and flip them. So for me, it became all those moments. It became the moment of the moment of being hungry in, in, in the projects and dealing with drug addicted parents. It came became going through homeless shelters. It, it came to being have to know, make your way through the streets. It came to having to, you know, figure out how to make it through a business. Like, so for me, it was in, and now the difference is I have this team around me, Kev mm. and Mark and Dave and I can't Joe and our whole team were, we all kind of like, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's shadow box time, right? Yeah. It's, it's the yeah. moment where it's the moment we all been waiting for. And it just happened, right? Mm. Like I, I said to the brand, to Nico, I want to do a Jordan 3 because it's authentic to our story, right? Right. And if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about being the brand and the relationship that stands up for black people, we need to have things that the brand knows that stands for excellence. Mm -hmm. The three is a grail, and we started with the three for a reason. Because mm. if this is gonna be about excellence, we need a canvas that stands for excellence also, right? Absolutely. We're going to bring this story in that's meaningful to our people, right? And all I'm going to do now is narrate what happened in an existence that looks similar to how it looks for Black folks around the world. So I'm just, I'm just narrating. It's not about me or us, right? Mm -hmm. It's about all of us. It's about, it's about all... 40 some million of us that exist in the United States and hundreds of millions that exist around the world. There's these stories and it's these systemic issues that we've been living, living through. And now it's modernized, right? The same right. You know, people say the same level of same level of discrimination and save slavery that existed then exists now. So the talking about the three was just the first what well, the launch of the three was just the first of many moments where we'll begin to have authentic conversations and establish a relationship, a whole relationship with what's really happening and what the black experience is really like in America. James, I mean, the one, thank you. Thank you and the team for, you know, seeing that this story needs to be told. These stories need to be told. Our stories need to be told, right? It's why we're sitting here right now because we grow up and we don't see, you know, we don't see much. You know, we see a lot of things that tell us we aren't great. We aren't worth it, right? And when we see those stories and we see what's happening, like, it's it's, it's truly inspiring. Like, for me, when I think of this Jordan 3 and I think Raised by Women, you know, I, you know, I'm a sneaker kid, right? I grew up loving sneakers, but I love sneakers for the stories. And so, you know, there's been a period where I've, like, kind of checked out 
of sneakers, you know, and not to like, you know, blow smoke. I'm telling you right now, this was the sneaker of this year that I was like, I got to have it. Doesn't matter. Don't matter how we got to get it. Need that sneaker. And it's because of the story and because it authentically represents us. And it also is, is about like everything that's happening right now. It's it's more. It's more than that. And so I think we're we're thankful of of that story. And I know there's there's more things to come. Um speaking of you and, and, and telling stories and your work in diversity inclusion, your work in uh social justice and and, and equity and equality, uh you, you started this program called Free Game. You you know, you and the group started this program. Why 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 this program, right? And there's there's times where there's mentorship, you bring on different guest speakers. Like, why'd you start that series? Um, remember we said earlier in our journey, man, it's, 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 it's us and it's, it's the people in our neighborhoods doing the best that we can do, right? And many of us try to go back and insert positivity in. So it was about the relationship and that struggle of making it out and trying to insert something positive back in and selfishly needing to give myself advice, right? Mm. Free game is free game is selfishly about me talking to me mm. 25, 30 years ago. I just right. see me in every one of those faces on the screen. I see my wanting to make it. I want to see my desperation. I see my just clinging on to hope. I see my ambition. I see my dreams. I see all those things in those kids. So where they're, where they're coming and asking all these questions, I just want to give them all of my experiences. And I want to give them all of my relationships and everything that I've accumulated that helps me get to the next place. I want to provide those resources for every kid that wants the information. I want to make it free and accessible and at their fingertips so they don't have to go through what we went through to get here. Mm -hmm. That's I mean, all that's it's about. Incredible. It's incredible, right? And it's something so so simple in that that is also just life-changing for generations generations of people that would never you know you don't have to open up your network but you know how many lives you change by the different people that come in and share that information it's it's unreal it's no, unreal man, thank you for the kind words and but you think about this bima we still you know i think i think somebody probably died and it wasn't recorded last night hmm. right somebody woke up somebody woke up starving this morning hmm. right depending on kids kids going to school depending upon free lunch to eat so for me it's about it's about the call before you was with craig and what he said to me was interesting because we was talking about something else about something else just regular friday mentoring call and what he said was we wake we wake up every day still grasping for hope hmm. because even though i wake up at my 45 year old 42 I just made myself 45. My 42-year-old, <laughs> my 42-year-old existence is much better than the existence that I had as an eight-year-old. When I go to sleep and I dream, my reality is still centered on everything that I'm from. So I'm still waking up and I'm still desperate to change things. Right. And that desperation is the thing that continues to push us. And it'll push me for the rest of my life. And that's the, one of the things that when you talk to when you talk to people who are great. You talk to MJ and you talk to uh, the conversations and this sounds crazy because it's about to be name dropping. But when you talk to superheroes, mm -hmm. what I like to call them, MJ's a superhero. Barack Obama's a superhero. Yes. Kamala Harris is a superhero. Right. When you talk to these superheroes, 
when you hear the, the grace in which they speak and the optimism and the certainty in which they speak in is so inspiring, but at the same time, it's powered by the desperations and the failures of everybody that came before us to get it right. Right. Mm-hmm. So here I am now invested in the process of trying to get it right for all of us. I'm 42 years old. Hopefully I got 30 shit. No, 58 50, more years. 60. 58 <laughs> more years left. Right. Mm-hmm. But everyone I got, I got to I got to I got to try to help build the legacy that helps us all have an opportunity to um, live a life that's uh, the same as our counterparts that aren't black. James, when you think about. Uh, the journey you've been on thus far, and you think about these young creatives that they want to have, you know, they have visions that they're trying to get out. They have ideas of being entrepreneurs. What advice would you give them on their journey? Don't quit. Search. Lock in. Create a plan. Like, like find, find, find a North Star. Find, understand what excellence looks like. Scour. Find excellence. Create a plan and have a vision for yourself, but let the North Star be about excellence and then find the mentors and the platforms that can help get you there, which is why what you do is so important with with, with all the people who, who make up our culture and, and the idea of not just about us and what we do, the fact that giving is contagious. And when giving of all of us becomes a part of what we all do individually, then it helps the generations that are coming up be better than we are. And that's ultimately how we're going to win. That was James Whitner, a man who wasn't going to stop his hustle and continues to put on his community and his people. Find out more about James and get access to all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo, original music, production, and scoring by Adrian Anaya, original music by Danny Castillo, Kinsley Barifatro, Orlando Kennedy, Melanie Jag, and vocals provided by Rosella. And special thanks also to VDOT, Professor H, Jordan Dinwiddie, Nick Pop, and Lily Lynn. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to Claim Us Stories.